drops. Morpheus is fighting Neo! Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. I am and can only be your host, Jesse Kester. But it's not about us. It's about you, the guest. Today, we are joined by the one, the only, the singular, the illustrious... Nichelle Ann Windsor. Welcome to the party, Nichelle. How are you? Happy to be here. The music is... I, I, I don't know if I should be saying more at the top about the intro to get us... So that when you say your name, the music is burning out, but... And then I end up spinning my wheels for the last 10 seconds of the music. Uh, so it's all a wash anyway. Hi. 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 <laughs> Hello. How are you? I am fabulous. First question of the show. How would you like our listeners to frame you in their minds? Um, well, I am many things, but first and foremost, I am a writer, a children's book writer. Excellent. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, uh, Kayla Wayman. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the workshops that you organize. And uh, you you are buddy-buddy with fellow alums of the Fishbowl. Yes. Look at you schmoozing your way onto the show. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about a form of martial arts that I have no recollection of what that word is. And that's a tease for the audience. Yes. You can tell them now or tell them later. Uh, escrima. Let's there just it say is. That. Get yep. ready for more Escrima talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, you're, you're in the escrematorium now, kids. But before we get into any of that, we are going to do five and five, wherein I ask you five questions, and you have one minute to answer each question, hence the title, Five, five and Five. Ooh, makes sense. Um, are you freaked out yet? No. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Where did you grow up? And how did that inform your adulthood? I grew up in the Philippines. And so um, I think a lot of my stories kind of have that cultural uh, reference to them. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about Kayla Wayman. But um, also growing up there meant that I was privy to a childhood that was unencumbered by, you know, a lot of technology and stuff. So I spent summers like chasing after butterflies and writing my own stories and things like that. Um, it was a lot of fun. Did you catch literal butterflies and have you caught the metaphorical butterflies? Actually, let me correct that. It's dragonflies. Uh, butterflies were kind of uh, out of my reach, but dragonflies were. Wait, were you, did you, do we have to play the tape back? I think you said butterflies. I did say butterflies. Okay, 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 I'm okay, correcting okay. myself because I'm like, wait a minute. I don't think I caught butterflies. I caught dragonflies. Yes. I'd love to ask you if you caught the metaphorical dragonflies, but we are out of time for this question. <laughs> we'll come back to that. What is the must-engage media, the book, the television show, the album that opened up your brain to the very secrets of the universe? Hmm. Well, I'm very big into um, personal developments. I've read a lot of books, but the one book that I always recommend to people, especially those who sort of need inspiration, um, is You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Mm -hmm. um, I just love that she talks about all these, you know, personal development, um, you know, sort of... Uh, topics that you read in a lot of books, but she she talks about it in a very contemporary way. It's almost like reading a friend, uh, kind of like, you know, if a friend wrote you a letter, um, that would that would be what it read like. When did this book come into your life? It doesn't sound like one you would have been growing up with as a child. Mm -mm, no, just a couple of years ago. Um, 
So that would be my favorite like personal development book. Um, but the book that really changed my point of view and put me on the positive track is Think and Grow Rich. There you go. All right, you're doing fine. Question number three. What is the greatest source of joy in your life? People. Damn. <laughs> That's a rare answer. <laughs> it's also the greatest source of pain. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's a double, double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think all these relationships I have, like friends and uh, family and, and coworkers and people I meet, um, that's the greatest source of joy for me. What about people do you like? I st- I'm not sold on the concept yet. Learning from people. I mean, all the experience. I feel like everybody could write a book and it would be very interesting to me because it might be boring for them, but there might be aspects of their life that I'm like, oh man, tell me about that. You know, that is the one thing I'm always trying to tell my wife is she is like, she is all too aware of how mundane she is from her own perspective and oblivious to how fascinating she is from everyone else's perspective. Exactly. And that's why we do the fishbowl. Sorry, I'm really talking over your answers. You got <laughs> me. But we have extra time for the next question because you already answered it. Oh. What gets under your skin? People. Oh, <laughs> now, now I'm right at home with this answer. Um, I think I just don't like um, entitled, disrespectful people. I think... Uh, I think that's the one thing that really gets to me um, is because, you know. What are you doing in Los Angeles then? You know, uh, there are a couple of them. I am practicing patience okay. in Los Angeles. No, <laughs> I think I, I um, yeah, it, it's just you don't really meet a lot of them here. There's just a lot of people who think that, um, you know, theirs is the only story. But I think I'm also of the mindset of like encouraging people to actually relate to other people more and like that's why I love networking and introducing Mm -hmm. people to each other and you know does empathy come easy for you or did you have to work towards that that's a big question to ask with seven seconds left on the clock (laughs) well we can talk more about that when the seconds end because I I honestly I can't get a read on you if empathy was like baked in from minute one or (laughs) next question (laughs) Uh, advice, advice, advice. What is the best advice you've received and what do you want to put out into the universe? Um, best advice I've received. I think something that I read from all of these books to tell you how to improve your life is really just like learn, soak it up, you know, um, so much is out there for us to kind of learn about something that you're curious about, go after it, you know, stay curious. The one thing that I would want to impart, and this is a motto, a personal motto that I have is make every heartbeat count Mm -hmm. Uh, because life is short. Um, and there's so much out there to, to learn, to soak in, to do. Um, so I feel like, you know, there are a lot of wasted seconds. Um, so I try to keep that in mind. I'm like, what am I doing now? That is of utmost import. <laughs> I'm fully on board with you. And here's why I'll tell you why. Uh, is it okay if I stop the timer? Yeah, First of all, you smashed five and five. You destroyed it. Uh, congratulations. Do you want the victory music? I do. <laughs> I do. Want Nobody the has ever turned it down. Nobody said, yeah, I'm good on victory music. Here you go. That's all. That's that's the joke. Okay, we can retire that. Um, Yeah, make every heartbeat count because then if you don't exercise, your heart beats slower so you don't have to work so hard to make them count. Excellent. Isn't that amazing? Suggestion. Yes. All right, let's back it up. Let's slow it down a little bit. And first of all, I want to say this. Um, You ready for this? 
I am. Okay, thank you. <laughs> it is that um, my dad listens to the show a lot, and he really enjoys it and appreciates it. But every time I talk to him, he says, stop talking to interesting people. Get more mundane people on, because what I learned from your show is that everybody is fascinating. The more mundane they are, the more fascinating they are to to really talk to them and listen to them and explore their worldview. Um, so your enthusiasm for the the just the general state of of being fascinating that every human exists in constantly is shared by a very uh, appreciated and loved member of our audience. <laughs> no question in there, but I'm going to pass the mic to you. Well, that's good to know. I think um, the thing is, what is normal for you is not for me. What is normal for me is not a norm for you. And that in itself is like a source of fascination and interest, I think. Um, like I meet people who are, you know, maybe they're baristas or mm -hmm. they just, they feel like, oh, I'm just a, you know, a server at a restaurant. But for me, that's fascinating because I've never done that. I've never been, I'm, I'm so curious about your life because I think that's such a, you know, it's not, it's not a life that I've lived. So I'm yes. always interested. That's, know? that's what the, that's what the discovery was that he made. And that I cannot disagree with was that like, get the fucking barista on <laughs> yeah, and find out what's going on in there. Because the reality is you see like in LA, at least I see about 50 baristas a day, even if I don't go into a coffee shop. So they all like blend together in my mind, but they are all unique singular humans with dreams, with desires, with pains. Um, so, so the, like it's, you know, bike messengers. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that those existed until the day I found out they existed. And then I realized that they were everywhere all the time. Always. Like once you start looking for bike messengers, they are everywhere. They are everywhere. Um, I see what you did there with the, they all blend together. Baristas. Hold on. We have and victory music. You're <laughs> <laughs> I thought you uh, you were intentional about that. I, but, yeah. I was not. I That's was not. Which um, the shirt that I've always wanted to have, but I've never owned, was one that said "All puns intended," and I no longer deserve <laughs> to wear that shirt. Oh <laughs> I'm going to hang up the mantle. Uh, yeah, I just think. Um, you know, and I think that's a big part of being like a writer or a storyteller is that you should be interested in people because that's who you write about. That's that's who your readers follow. That's who you're writing for. You know, I mean, people. So. Now, if I may, mm -hmm. it sounds like you're trying to erect a very careful barrier between me and asking you all about growing up in the Philippines <laughs> no, and coming to America. No, ask away. I, I really want to, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. So that's still on the table. That's still on the table, Because yes. uh, here's the thing. Um, I didn't grow up in the Philippines. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I don't imagine you did. <laughs> uh, I, I, a little bit similar. We would tra chase fireflies up in Pennsylvania. That was, that was the fun thing to do. But um, let's Take it back to the Philippines. Where'd you, where were you born? Where were you growing up? Well, I uh, was born in Manila, so that's the main capital mm -hmm. of the Philippines. And, um, you know, I lived there up until I was seven, and then I moved um, to be with my mom. She was uh, what we call 
an OFW or an overseas foreign worker. She was a nurse working in the Middle East, you know, Um, because as you know, the Philippines is sort of a third world country. And um, I always get like a cold sweat when somebody says, as you know, as you know, I might not not know. know. Uh, It's a third world country. So a lot of the times people would go out of the country um, and send money back home so that kids can have like a good education. And that's exactly my experience. My mom, you know, had to work abroad and send money so I could go to a good private school. Um, was it a religious school or? It was a Catholic school. Okay. It was Catholic, um, you know, all girls school. But, uh, you know, I think it's because the, the pu- public education system in the Philippines is not that good. It's, mm-hmm. it's overcrowded. There's like 50 students in a classroom, you know, so, so the, the only way that you would really get a good education is if you went to a private school, yeah, you know, yeah. um, did so, any of the Catholicism stick or was... <laughs> are you like, are you still Catholic? Uh, yes, I was born and raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. I still am, but um, I'm not... I'm a non-practicing, I think. Okay. Like, I'm just like a... You know, if I have to go to church, then I will because I have to go with family members, but mm-hmm. I don't seek it out myself. But do you talk to God in your own time, in your own way? Yeah, I think I think the big thing is that spirituality and religion are such separate things in yeah, my mind. Yeah, yeah. So I would say I'm more spiritual. I believe that there is a higher power. You can call it like the universe, the the God, the goddess, whatever it is. But mm-hmm. you know, there has to be some higher power out there. Is what I believe in. Um, you know, so, but religion is like a more structured thing. And I feel like sometimes it could be, um, it could hinder you from, you know, things if you don't break out of that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think you're tearing down the institution with, yeah. with those thoughts. That's, <laughs> no, that, that feels very no. diplomatic. Yeah. But, it, um, and that's straight through high school. You were going to the, uh, to Catholic private school? Yeah. So I went to, um, it, back then it was Wait, called- so how much are you seeing your mom then? If she's out of the country, is it mostly, like, are you boarding at the school or is it mostly just your dad who you're spending time with? I grew up um, with my aunts and oh, my okay. grandma. So I'm- Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I, have, yeah. I had like multiple moms, yeah. essentially. Um, so, uh, so I grew up with them and then my mom would come, you know, to the Philippines for, you know- a visit every now and then. But um, eventually when I got up into um, first year of high school, I think she moved back mm-hmm. with my sister. So um, I got to be with her. And bit. when you're growing up, is it like as a kid, are you understanding the full scope of what she's doing for you? Like the, the that there's a bit of a sacrifice there mm-hmm. or like what was, what was your experience as a kid of that? Well, I think growing up, it's drilled into your brain, especially by my aunt who, you know, was raising me. She was an English teacher in the school that I was going to. Um, so um, she'd be like, well, you know, your your mom is out. It is a sacrifice to be away from your children. You know, mm-hmm. she she must be lonely up there and stuff like that. And, and I understood that on like a, a sort of um, a mental level. Like level. the logical, the logic yeah, of it works. like a logical, practical level. But emotionally, I felt like, well, I, I mean, I wouldn't mind going to a, like a cheap school if it meant I had my mom here. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the experience that most most kids have is they would much rather have the presence than yeah. you know have sort of the the financial support. But then looking back as an adult, I'm like, oh yeah, that was a full on sacrifice. And I really appreciate that I was able to go to this school. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Is she still alive? Oh yeah. Yeah. She's, Excellent. um, she's in, uh, garden Grove, Westminster right now living with my, yeah, my stepfather. Now, 
This leads up to the here's a here's a like thunderbolt <laughs> levy breaking question is I do want to talk a little bit about immigration. We don't have to get mm-hmm. into it now, but like were you the first one over? Was your mom the what was the process of getting your family over here? Well, my grandfather um uh mom's dad was American and he oh, okay. fought okay, in okay. the in the war in World War II. And he was a one of the U.S. soldiers. I uh, fell in love with my grandmother. who was a local. She mm-hmm. was a guerrilla fighter in the period of the Japanese sort of invasion. Uh, they fell in love and they just decided to stay there and raise a family. Um, so, you know, so we kind of, they all grew up there. Okay. Eventually they all kind of found their ways. And then uh, my mom and her siblings were like, well, you know, we might as well try, you know, yeah, and, yeah. you know, get our citizenship you know, just for extra opportunities and whatever. Um, so that's what they did. How old were you when you started making it over to America? I was actually fairly old. I didn't want to come here because I was perfectly happy. You know, I was in college uh, and then I stayed there for a couple more years to kind of teach. Um, mm-hmm. At my old high school, I taught English. Uh, my mom had been trying to get me over here for now, a while. as an English teacher, mm-hmm. what's your favorite word? Uh discombobulate okay, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I yeah I think you I took know. that question seriously it uh, speaks volumes of your character and, and <laughs> compassion <laughs> I have to think about these things um but yeah so uh you know so my mom you know was trying to get me over here but I was like hey it's, it's actually for Harvard style education um I'm paying $300 a semester there yeah. You know, yeah. so I was like, I, I would like to finish college and I would like to get a couple years of work experience. <laughs> See how it feels, mom? Now and, you know. Uh, before I fly over here and, you yeah. know, be with the rest of the family. So I, I think I just kind of wanted to experience that sort of, you know, independence first before I flew in here and knew that it would completely kind of, um, I'd have to rely on her, you know, getting started and stuff like that. So I was 25 when I finally joined them here. What were you, when you get here, mm-hmm. like, are you digging it or not at all? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, this is not as exciting as I thought it would be. But mostly because it was a big um, shift mm-hmm. because back in the Philippines, I was like teaching. I had, you know, all of these like students that, you know, who, who looked up to me and I had to be a role model for. And, um, I, I felt good being a teacher. Like I was kind of doing the world some good kind of thing. And then I come over here and I'm like unemployed and yep, you welcome know, to LA. <laughs> like, <laughs> Get man, this is, you know, living with my parents again. And I'm like, oh man. Um, and I didn't have any friends here because all my friends were back home. So I was literally borrowing my sister's friends. So my sister is like five years younger. So she was, uh, in college around that time. And she, she would of course invite me out because otherwise I'd be a hermit. Yep. Yep. Um, no, I got here <laughs> a year ago and it's that exact thing where you show up and you're like, why did I throw away my entire career, my life, my social circle for Los Angeles? Yes. What, what on earth were we thinking? Yeah. And I think it was also, uh, an age where the internet wasn't as full, um, full blown where you could find like you didn't have meetup where you could kind of yeah. sign up for, you know, join a group with people of the same interests and things like yep, that. Yep, so yep, yep, yep. it was kind of a, a trickier time period to really meet people. Um, so that was a big challenge. But um, and then I went back to the Philippines six months, six months after I moved here. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it was a very interesting shift. Having lived here for six months, going back to visit some friends and seeing the state they were in and realizing, oh my God, I was them. Like, just like, you know, a few years ago, like a year ago. What and was the state? Like what? what? They were so, um, they were working so hard for so little. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't fully. So within six months, you had started to find your lane. Yeah, I kind of like you, I started you had found working some weekends, level of comfort, some you know. level of social circle. Yeah. What were you doing at the beginning here? In the beginning, I was kind of like doing more odd job type things. Like mm-hmm. I did um, a bit of caregiving, like okay. help, you know, helping patients and things, because that was an easy thing to get into. Because I knew someone, like my cousin, did that. I was like, and he was like, "Oh, here's my agency. You want to try this out?" I'm um, just so even just walking around Glendale. Like there are plenty of. Mm-hmm. Play, of caregiving places that have handwritten signs in the window, like saying, now hiring, please call immediately. Yeah. It's, it m- must be a very high turnover. It is because it's, it's hard work. It's yeah. like taking yeah. care of, you know, um, I was taking care of a lot of elderly patients and things like that. And so going from being a teacher and like yes. using my, my brain in such a different capacity and, and then going into caregiving, which is more physical, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so that, that was a big source of challenge for me because I was like, oh man, I want to, I want to be able to, you know, be creative and, yes, you know, yeah, 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 um, yeah. so that was challenging, but like going back to the Philippines after six months and like, and seeing like, um, like what I earn in a weekend here is mm-hmm. like a month's worth of salary back there. That's how big yeah, the difference yeah. is. And I fully understood why my mom had to, you work abroad so that I could go to a good school and have food on the table and all that kind of stuff, you know? So it was kind of a... My my wife is Kenyan, and mm-hmm. I've been to Kenya a couple of times, and there's that cliche of, like, you have to see... You have to go there to understand just how good you have it here. And, you know, I am nothing if not a walking cliche, so let me reiterate <laughs> that right now. Get your ass to a third world country, if you haven't been there, to have some idea of... Yes. Like where the needle is at in your life. You just don't know. You cannot know until you've seen other countries. No question in there. So good luck. <laughs> yeah, I, I fully agree. I think I think travel is the best way to really learn about life in general, because if you just stay within your small circle of experience, you will never fully grow um, as a person until you can experience what other people experience, sort of the, the traffic, the, the craziness of, you know, um, being there, uh, you won't, you won't really fully empathize. It's almost as if you curated an entire novel advocating for, uh, travel. Yes. (laughs) I'm a big fan of travel. Let me, uh, grab it from over here. Oh, (laughs) I love how you segued into that. Uh, the book is Lost in the Stream, starring <laughs> Kayla Wayman. Um, I would, I do want to talk about this. We're going to get back into everything that we've talked about. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way to to finish out this conversation without weaving those threads again. But I do want to introduce this thread to the whole yes. conversation because it's it's a wild project. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to introduce it, and then you're going to correct me. How does that sound? Oh, sounds great. <laughs> so this is a book that was written by a group of like what twenty people. We're in 24. Okay. See, I'm not that far off. Um, Each person was responsible for different parts of the story. You guys jumped into it with an idea of where it would start, 
what the various adventures would be like and where it would end. And then everybody had to crank this thing out in an hour. Sort of. Let the correcting commence. (laughs) So this is, um, so every year, this is um, a book that was published by the Children's Book Writers of Los Angeles, which is the group I founded nine years ago now, I guess. Um, And every year we have this anthology uh, writing day workshop where we're there for full on eight to nine hours. Um, We have many lectures on different aspects of, uh, you know, like elements of fiction. We have a bunch of exercises that we give. And from those exercises, um, we curate the pieces and, you know, publish them in an anthology. Mm -hmm. So along with this book is like... um, first few years before we had published uh, Story Sprouts and then Story Sprouts Voice, which focused on the element of voice. So all the lectures, all the exercises were leading up to how do you hone your voice as a writer? Um, And so there were a lot of pieces that came out of that. And then this year we did, um, I think this is the year that we did Story Sprouts Conflict. So our idea was to have an anthology, which is, um, which is a, I would say I have never seen any other anthology like this because most anthologies are all like all of the pieces of, you know, fiction or poetry that are compiled together. But this anthology is both um, like nonfiction and then all of the pieces that came from the exercises. So it's both it's both a how to book and, and then a fun like, you know. I want to get into all that. Can you give the elevator pitch for the story of Kayla Wayman, Lost in the Stream? So uh, Kayla Wayman, Lost in the Stream is about Kayla Wayman, who is this uh, 13-year-old girl who lives in Beverly Hills. And we have a reason for why she lives there. Um, That um, and, And she wants to prove that she is old enough and mature enough to time travel on her own. Mm-hmm. And so without her mother's blessing... She goes and now let's back up a little bit. You're, you're doing the total uh, <laughs> oh, forest from the trees. No. Like, um, so time travel exists in this book. Yes. It is genetically passed. Yes. And also kind of kept a secret from people who don't time travel. Exactly. Okay. So that, it's, it's, I feel like that's important information. Yes. It's a, it's a, a gene that's passed down through the women in the family. So her mm-hmm. dad has no idea that his wife and his daughter can time jump. Okay. So, yeah. What? Uh, I got a question. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, we got to get this one out of the way. <laughs> can you time travel? Okay. I mean, you personally. I'm not talking hypothetically. I mean... Yeah. Well, you know what? See, this is what I was suspicious of as I was reading it. I knew that there was something going on. <laughs> not, uh, not to blow up your spot. Well, you know, the secret is. Um, but the, I think the real question underneath there is like, what kind of... Um, we're um, 100 miles away from religion, just talking spirituality. Like, what, what connection do you have to the spirit world, to the ephemeral, to the intangible? Hmm. Well... Because it felt like there was more sincerity in here than just than a science fiction trope. Yeah, I think um, I, I think I really am more into spirituality and in that I know that a big part of that is really feeling sort of connected mm-hmm. to the world at large, to other people, to nature. I think that's a big part of it. Um, and when you ask if I time traveled, I was like, uh, 
Well, in a way I do, because I do have this thing. I, I it's, it's a technique, which I call time traveling. Mm-hmm. When I am sort of in this place of, you know, being offended or mad at a person, especially somebody I care about, uh, somebody I love, I time travel into the future. Mm-hmm. And I sort of imagine what it would be like if I were at their funeral, as morbid, morbid as that might sound. Mm-hmm. And would I, I? I don't classify that as morbid as <laughs> at all. I'm, I'm being serious because we're all going to die. Like, there's nothing morbid it's about a, it's practical entertaining that that like gaming out that future. Mm-hmm. So please continue. Yeah, it's like mortality motivation, right? So, yes. uh, so time travel into the future, and like, what would I feel if I were at the funeral of this person? Would I regret what I'm about to say now? Then I time travel back into the present, and I'm like. Yes, I'm not going to say that. That's, <laughs> so, yep, yep, yep. Uh, so I do like something like that. So yeah, I guess I do time travel in a sense. I figured. Yeah. I, <laughs> and I feel like I'm, I'm kind of like leading into this book as as it's like a not you know not hippy dippy and wishy washy, but you get the sense that there's more going on underneath the surface, and I want to immediately dispel any possible impression that our audience might have that it's hippy-dippy or wishy-washy. It's actually very academic, and it's each chapter, each section is filled with um, not just the story of what's happening, but also all these little cultural notes mm-hmm. and vocabulary notes about what's significant in this time and place that she's in and uh, why people are saying what they're saying and how they're saying it in that time and place that they're in and what types of you know spiritual entities might be understood and floating around in that time and place that they're in. Uh, I'm guessing not an accident. No. Um, oh, hot yeah. damn! Look at me go with the predictions. <laughs> so, how did, how did you guys land on that as a group? Like, what was what was that conversation of? We want to keep this thing all inclusive mm-hmm. across the spectrum of of cultures, spirituality, spirituality. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest value that we have as a group, uh, you know, part of our culture at CBWLA is like everybody has a voice. That's sort of our thing. Um, whether you're a beginner, beginning writer or like an advanced level writer or wherever you come from, whatever your background, I mean, you have a story to tell. And so that that's always been our sort of guiding force. Now, when we were working on the anthology workshop, the theme for that year was setting. And we wanted to come up with a with a whole new book, aside from the anthology of Story Sprout Setting, which we're currently still working on. Um, So what we did was we had researched and prepared different settings, meaning like, here's a time period, Mm -hmm. here's a location. This is where our lovely character is going to land in. Other than that, we give them nothing. So each, each person basically was given like a setting sheet with like information about the the time period and location fun telling details to add kind of flavor and texture to their section exactly and they had access to the internet they wanted to research more but essentially we gave them also like here is who our character is here's her backstory um this is what happens to her here's your setting sheet have fun yeah And, and so um so it's interesting the way that the threats came up because each person worked on their own scene. We didn't tell them anything about what adventures Kayla would be having in that scene, mm-hmm. just that here's where it should happen. Here's when it should happen. Yeah. So um, at the end of it, the biggest challenge was really trying to thread all these stories together to make one voice, one story, one character. And so um, after we collected all of this info and edited the pieces, I wrote, I think it was about seven or eight 
connecting chapters. Okay. Okay. So there was a little bit of curation going on. Yes. Okay. Okay. All of them together. And I I also had fun because this was the first time I went back to one of my original loves, which is like drawing. I used to draw a lot when I was a kid. Is that your art in there? So I've, yeah, I've got three illustrations inside the book that I kind of like sketched. I found two of them. (laughs) I'm looking forward to finding the third. There's there's a third. Okay. Um, But it was, it was a lot of fun. Oh shit. I just blew up the, I I haven't finished the book. I was going to try to make it through this whole interview well, without spilling the beans. There's one in the beginning, the middle, and the end. Clearly, you haven't gotten to the end. Uh, <laughs> Busted guilty as charged. Anyway, moving on from the book to anything else yeah. immediately. <laughs> um, so it was, it was very interesting because there's also kind of a magic that happened during that workshop where, like I said, we told them nothing, like mm-hmm. except for the character profile and the setting. And there were threads as we were reading through all the pieces, like, the father didn't know, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. know. He shouldn't know. He shouldn't even be sort of a, a minor character in this because he's sort of outside the secret. But he kept on popping up in the scenes as people were writing them. And so we wrote him into the scenes and realized that actually he is a big part of this. Um, so that ended up being sort of one of the key key elements that, that you know, came about um, once we were putting together the whole story. Is there a copy anywhere that is signed by all of the authors? Yes. How many of those exist in this uh, world? I think there. I might have about five of them. Okay. Yeah. What, what, what do those sell for? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I wish they Because, I mean, the copy that is signed by you, that's all well and good. But <laughs> if I could track down one that's signed by everyone. I will I will track down one for you. Okay. But, yeah, it's um, it was a very amazing experience because each person really put their own. It was their story. You know, it's not maybe not the character that they came up with. So a big part of how this book came into existence is Alana. Um, CBWLA's publication director and my mm-hmm. co-conspirator in all of the anthologies and all of the workshops and stuff. She line edited everything. Have I met her or no? Has she, she hasn't been at any of those I, workshops. I don't think okay. you've met her. Um, the workshops that you, that you've been in, but I would love to introduce you both. She's she's amazing, um, and she's a big part too of of because we had to sit down together and come up with a character. Mm-hmm. We sat down and came up with like what are kind of the settings that we want to you know deal with. What are some of the themes that we want to, you know, uh, present in this story. And so what were the influencing factors that led you to Kayla Wayman as she, as we know her today? Like what, what was that dialogue like? Influencing. So one of the things that we really wanted to do with, with this story is we wanted a character that another kid could, you know, resonate with. And, you know, personally for me, growing up in the Philippines and reading all of these books that were published by, you know, like published in the U.S. and and everything, I was like, oh, these are amazing. Are you you saying that the Hardy Boys didn't connect to you on a personal, personal level? I just wish there was one Asian character in there, at least, you know, (laughs) or, (laughs) uh, but yeah, like, you know, I, I grew up reading all these amazing stories and wishing that there was somebody there who looked like me a little bit, or Mm -hmm. maybe like had some of the same things that I, uh, my same experiences, that's a big part of the children's book industry now is really diversity and, and really finding and writing about characters that kids nowadays can relate to and resonate with so they don't feel so alone. And I think that was one of the major influences for making her biracial and um, 
Kayla and um, making her have all these interests that are not very typical of, Mm -hmm. you know, little girls like martial arts. Like that's not something that you would normally. When did you get locked into martial arts? Um, I used writing as an excuse um, to get there. So I... (laughs) Wait, what, uh, how do these negotiations work? I promise you, brother, I, I will write a novel if you let me take martial arts. No. Uh, so I have always been interested in martial arts ever since mm-hmm. I watched Karate Kid, as you know, growing yes. up in, in the 80s or 90s or whenever that was. Um, I was like, oh, man, that's really cool. I want to learn how to do that. But I never had the opportunity in the Philippines. So when I came here, um, they have these like, um, sort of like trial classes, like parks and rec type things. So you just went from school to school doing one trial class so you could get the whole education for free. Not really. I, okay. I think I saw one that said Filipino martial arts and I was like, Hey, I've always wanted to learn that. That's like mm-hmm. part of my culture. And I'm going to use this as an excuse because I'm writing martial arts into my middle grade novel that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. So it's like martial arts and magic, right? So I was like, this is the perfect, you know, opportunity to learn. Um, but deep down inside, I've always wanted to learn martial arts. So I finally did. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, it was just an excuse. <laughs> it was just like a, like a li- excuse. I don't know why I had to trick myself. This is silly. But uh, I finally did. I hope you never write a novel about somebody who murders someone else. <laughs> no, that'd be too real. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, so I, I took that, it was like, I think in 2010 when I started, um, and then might have been last year, or a year before, where I finally got my black belt after years of, you know, training. How many years is that? That's like a decade plus? Yeah, it takes a while, because we have, gosh, three levels of brown before mm-hmm. you even get to to black. So, it's... um. And it's multi-style, which is why it's it's so amazing for me because I never get bored. Multi-style meaning you learn so many different things. Like the first thing they do at the very first class is give you a pair of sticks. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is the only martial art I've encountered which start you off with weapons. <laughs> what size sticks are we talking? Like a yeah, foot long? Like maybe oh, okay. like 32 inches or okay. so. Um, so they're pretty hefty. And if, if you, uh, you start off with very stiff, like wrists, it's mm-hmm. a lot of twirling and a lot of that movement. Um, so you end up hitting yourself every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, <laughs> it takes a, a certain kind of character to kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. pursue this, but the resilience must be baked in before you show exactly. up. Exactly. You know, you must think of this as a challenge. Otherwise you're like, Oh my God, this is too much. I have so many bruises in my face. Uh, so yeah, so I, I really enjoy the fact that you could translate all of these things you learn, you know, to do with a stick, like like the strikes and the defense are things that you can apply towards a knife or like if you drop your knife in your empty hands, like you can do that. So that's what I love about it. And I also enjoy the fact that this was sort of the choreography behind like Born Identity. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch the movies, you're like, what kind of martial arts is that? And it's actually Eskrima. Um, so when he uses like the pen or the rolled up newspaper to fight the bad guys, that's totally like, mm-hmm. you know, when that style is, it's almost like you can use anything as a weapon, as long as you sort of know the principles. Uh, and once you get up to black belt, then you start getting into the fun stuff, like the staff and the whip and <laughs> yeah. How good are you on whip? Not very good. Okay. Uh, it looks easy when they do it, when the masters do it. And then I try it and I'm like, oh my God, I can't even make that sound like that's high level stuff. 
Now I'm just thinking about whips. You yeah. totally just like reset my complete brain. Well, you know, the, um, I don't know if you've watched mask of Zorro, like that scene with, with, um, what's his name? Anthony Hopkins, where he's like using the whip to, to, um, like kill the candlelight or something like that mm-hmm. from afar. Like that's what they do. They, they have cans from a distance and they use the whip and they try to like, it's, it's accuracy. It's a lot of control. Um, it's not as easy because it's like a moving thing, unlike a stick, which is pretty much. Oh yeah, in, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So it's oh man, it's even if you're holding skill. a stick at the base, you know where the tip is gonna be. It's a straight line away exactly. from where the base is. Yeah, not the case with a whip. Mm-mm, no, so it ends up on your foot um, if you're not careful. <laughs> you ever draw blood with it? <laughs> no, thankfully, uh, one of the things that they make into you is a lot of footwork. So, mm-hmm. so you you're, see you're that good and callous like, by then. Oh, yes. Yeah. You're like, I, I know how to avoid uh, getting myself caught in this thing. Do you um, compete? No, um, I did compete when I went to take my belt test in the Philippines. There was a tournament going on and I just kind of did that forms um, competition. But other than that, I haven't really I've had the time to, you know, join tournaments or stuff here. So we talked about you are a badass. We're going to jump around a little bit. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> What were the books that you were reading as a kid that did, did anything lock in in a meaningful way? Yeah. I mean, I remember growing up reading a lot of, um, so my aunt was an English teacher. So I was constantly surrounded by these classics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, really classics like Kidnapped by Robert Louis Stevenson, like those type of classic Shakespeare. Uh, but then like I found this these delicious novels, which I was really interested in, like Christopher Pike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, these are the kinds of things that I really enjoy reading. Um, Little Prince was a very big thing for me. I think I read it when I was young and I enjoyed the pictures and I read it again when I was in high school and I got something out of it. Yeah. 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 The whole book changes as you get older. Yeah. And then I taught it when I was, you know, an English teacher and it meant something different. So that's one of the books that I would have to say, like, I really kind of grew up with because I would get something different each time from it. Um, I also, what languages would you, would you read that one in? The Little Prince. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was in English because, because in the Philippines, English is actually a second language. All of our, um, our classes were taught in English except for two, social okay. studies and Filipino. So Okay, because Little Prince is one that I have, as I study other languages, I really enjoy going back to that one and reading it in the other language. Just because, like, you, once you know the book, you can kind of fill in the gaps mm-hmm. on the vocabulary you don't know. It's it's easy enough, but that's that's a fun one to... Yeah, I've got the Japanese version, which... Oh, which Hoshino Oji-sama. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which I can't read. Unfortunately, but I do appreciate that, you know, the same stuff happens. Yeah, I was it's like, I know what this is. Yes. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, so that was a, a good one. Um, I, oh, the book that really got me to be a full on reader when I was in the third grade was Nancy Drew. Okay. Okay. Like I, that's how I got into series and like really following characters along. I think that's what made me a, a full on reader. Just so you know, with my little Hardy Boys joke back there. Uh, Nancy Drew was the first one on my oh. mind, and I was thinking like, ah, oh, we need one more degree of separation. Oh. What's the boy version of Nancy? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a big one. And then I have to say, when I was in college, you know, when you get into college, you have a lot of readings that are required, and so you mm-hmm. kind of forget to read for fun. Yep, 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 yep. So I was at that stage, I think, I was uh, junior, and um, 
I was home sick and my cousin had left his copy of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which is the third book, lying around. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, I don't know what the fuss is all about. This is a kid's book, you know snooty college yes. student yes. picked it up and read the first chapter and was like oh this is, this is actually interesting so i read the whole thing in like three hours mm-hmm. and i was like and i called up my cousin i was like where where's book one and two i need yeah. to <laughs> i need to read it right now and um i think it was the book that pulled me back into sort of reading for fun yep 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 um, relit the the flame yes so those were sort of the, the major books that kind of like mark certain periods of my life. Now, all this is well and good, but we have not even talked about the workshops through which I know you in the first place yes. anyway. <laughs> yes. So let's jump into those for a minute, can we? What? How would you describe those uh, to somebody who has never been to one? Um, they are amazing places. First of all, a bigger, bigger, bigger question that's on my mind: Why kids' books? Like, what, what is the, what is the siren call of, of children's literature that, that speaks to you? Well, I think it's because you want to get them while they're young, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that is sort of the most influential. That was, that was a little nefarious. Nefarious. That's the plan of all children's book writers is to mm-hmm. teach kids while they're young. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think when you look back at the things, the books that have influenced you the most, they are the books that you read when you were a kid, when your imagination was first sort of like sparked, you know, when you started thinking of all the possibilities. You read it through these books, and that's why I have such a big, um, you know, passion for it. It's because growing up as a kid, these were the things that kept me you know, from going crazy over the summers where we didn't have television. Yeah, yeah. In the provinces in the Philippines, like if you're not super rich, you don't have a TV. Yeah. So you had to rely on books or like other people or kids or playmates. I didn't even have those. Were you mostly in the city or growing up more countryside or halfway between? Um, like, well, for the of... most part, I was in the city. Yeah. But in the summers, I would go and be okay. with my grandma and my cousins. And it was like this house, which... You know, like I said, it was just a radio that was like yeah, yeah, the biggest yeah. tech. And my grandma was mostly listening to like her radio, like dramas and things like that. So I had to rely on whatever books were lying around, you know, in the house, which thankfully there were a few. Um, so I survived off of those of like, you know, I, I could instantly transport myself into a different place just by reading a book. Did you have like not many friends at that point when you're out in the countryside? At the, is it mostly just you and your brain at at that stage of your life? Yes. Or me and my younger cousins and oh, okay, Lord knows okay. they have different interests, you know, uh, at that age, they're more interested in other things. Um, I was, I think a little bit older than them. And so I was more interested in like, well, what do, what can I do? So that's when I started like reading a lot and really writing a lot. Um, when I was in the seventh grade, so my, my, my aunt is an English teacher. And so she would, um, check all of these term papers. And at the end of the year, these term papers would just essentially go to waste. And she mm-hmm. felt really bad about the paper. So she would bring these things home and for us to use a scratch paper because mm-hmm. the back is like basically a blank page. So I actually used the backs of these term papers and I got her typewriter and I wrote my first novel. Do you still have those? Are those papers no, on this planet or are they wish, lost to I the ages? I wish I had you know, kept them. I don't know where they went. Um, the borrowers took them. I don't know who, but <laughs> you know. Do you have, I mean, I, I'm aware of Lost in the Stream. Do you have a book that you wrote 
from cover to cover yourself. Is there is that available? I am currently working on that. So that's what Okay, I'm, so I'm off the hook. Yeah, you're okay. off the hook. <laughs> cool. <laughs> that's something that's like my own personal project that's not okay. related to like CBWLA or your any other thing. I've been working on um, a young adult novel. Um for a while now. So I first started with the middle grade and then moved on to YA. And this one, I can give you the, the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say that I'm in the middle of revisions. Um, so it's about, um, let's see, 16-year-old Nalia Salvador searches for her deadbeat dad, mm-hmm. only to discover that he is the head of a magical supremacist group. So that's... <laughs> That's sort of my pitch. How uh, how threatening should I assume a magical supremacist group it's is? Very threatening. Okie dokie. Uh, yeah. That's where I. That's where they had landed in my mind. Yes, um, but yeah, mostly because she's biracial, so that's mm-hmm. a big threat to her. Because you know, her dad is a Greek ethereal supremacist, or you know. Uh, so anyway, so that's what I'm working on, and hopefully that'll you know find a home at some point if I can finish this revision. <laughs> is it good so far? Like, are you feeling good on it? Yeah, I think it's, oh man, I started writing this in 2012 and it has gone through so many changes. Um, and I really credit all my critique partners and all these classes that I've been taking, you know, workshopping it because I don't think you fully get to know what your story is about until you've spent so much time on it. And you're like, you know what? You start weeding out characters that you don't need. You're like, I don't need this character. This character is completely unimportant. Um, you know, stuff like that. Whenever I'm writing, I remember the, the like the most common advice for writers is combine characters, reduce the number of people. And every time I'm writing, I'm like, no, 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 it's completely impossible. Couldn't possibly be done. First thing to happen yeah. on next revision is like 15 people get combined into one. Another 13 people are one person. Exactly. And I think that's what's been happening. And I think I've gotten to, um, you know, uh, a point where I'm, you know, confident in like, these are the sets of characters I really want to move forward with. And now mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like revising for structure, making it, uh, you know, a little bit tighter. Um, so that's that's kind of what I'm working on. Any potential release date on that? Are you seeing it in the next year and the next five years or you'll get it when you get it kind of thing? Oh man, I wish I could tell you. Um, I wish I had a crystal ball and I could see into the future. Um, I'm working on it this year and I'm hoping to, there was the reason I've been working on it more closely this year and really like trying to structure it better is because I I met this agent who had expressed interest, but she was like, oh man, you got to cut like 50,000 words from this. This is like a lot of words. So I'm like, oh man, I can't do that without looking at the structure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of where I am. And so I'm hoping once I'm done with that, you know, I can move on and actually start submissions and then, you know, take it from there. Um, That's been sort of my lifelong thing. And it's, it's kind of um, frustrating. Sometimes I get frustrated with myself because I'm like, you have all of these writing groups that you're part of. You are a writer and yet you often set aside your own writing for other things, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a point. You can't ignore that voice. Yeah. (laughs) So um, I'm trying to work on that and get better. I actually uh, signed up for a, uh, a novel class at, Mm -hmm. you know, UCLA extension writers program. Um, And um, because it was a trick for me to force myself to get back into writing. Because otherwise, if I wasn't responsible for submitting assignments and working on things, I probably would set it aside again for, you know, 
So you got to find these little hacks and tricks to, yeah, you know, trick yourself. So one of the many things that you do to avoid having to finish your novel is organize these workshops yes. with Kathy Fognaneta <laughs> and Pamela J. Smith. Yes, yes. How did these things come to life? Um, so in 2010, I started this group called, um, back then it was like the Ch- Torrance Children's Book Writers. Eventually it evolved into the Children's Book Writers of Los Angeles. It started as a meetup group, um, and it was a way for me to sort of learn about writing um, by teaching it. Mm-hmm. So I would, I put together all these meetup sessions and then people would sign up and we would kind of come together and do some, um, you know, creative workshops or I would talk about a, a topic. And then eventually I started like networking and meeting people and then inviting them to become speakers, um, in my group. And it became like a full on nonprofit. Um, you know, we had fancy logo and I finally got some people to come on board and be officers. You don't have a nonprofit until you have a fancy logo. (laughs) Yes. The the logo is everything. Um, so that's actually how I met, um, two of your former, you know, guests here, Kathy Fongianetta and Pamela J. Smith. Um, I'd heard that. So I'd known Pamela way before I even met her in person only because I had picked up a copy of her book, Power mm-hmm. of the Dark Side. Isn't that a fun one? When I was learning to write a, mm-hmm. a novel, and I was like, man, this is an amazing um, source of information if you want to throw conflict in your story. So that was like one of my go-to conflict books, and I just, I loved it, and I, you know, and then I discovered that she wrote like symbols and images and codes, and then this other book, Inner Drives, and I was like a big fan of her work. Um, and then I saw that she was, you know, um, speaking and mm-hmm. at this, like, I think it was some kind of like book event at Barnson, uh, no, Barnes and Noble, Santa Monica, back when that was still around. Mm-hmm. Um, she was on this panel with three other story consultants. So Kathy was one of them. And then there was Linda Seeger. And then there was another one. I think her name was Jennifer something. Um, but I had. Dornbush? Mm, no, I okay. don't think so. There's a Jennifer who runs with that. <laughs> that crowd <laughs> they all know each other uh, yeah. they're all friends so um so i drummed up the courage after their uh, panel to approach her and just tell her like how much of a fan i was and i think i'd emailed her like you know months before just to say hey i you know big fan and stuff like that and she responded she was so kind um that's the cool thing about being a fan of writers is they usually reply to emails. They like do. The top level, the J.K. Rawlings or whatever, they might not have time for everyone who writes in, but lots of writers love to write replies. They do. Um, and, you know, especially if you're like very sincere about what you're saying. And um, so I approached her after the um, the panel and I just kind of introduced myself and I, you know, thanked her for all the work that she put out in the world. And I drummed up the courage to ask her if she would be willing without knowing what I was getting myself into or what I was getting them into. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know that they get paid. That's my favorite kind of favor. Yeah. The, the kind that nobody <laughs> has any idea what's going on. Yeah. I was just like super, super passionate about her work. And, you know, um, I was like, Oh, I have this like, writing group, uh, you know, children's book writers, and I'd love for you to come and, you know, do a workshop with us. And Kathy was sitting right beside her. And I, you know, I was like, oh, Kathy, I, I, I enjoyed the, all the things that you said during the panel and I would love for you both. And, and they were like, okay, send us some info. Mm-hmm. 
And I did. I followed up with them. And that's how sort of the friendship relationship started is it's just from that one ask. They were nice enough to give. And then every year I, I would invite them again, you know, hoping that their schedule would would mm-hmm. open up and they'd be available. And every year they said yes. And it, we've come to this point now where they've been on so many years that if I don't invite them, it feels like tradition is lost. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's a, a slight against them, a clear yeah. disinvitation to the party. Yeah, but I love having both of them there. They um, they teach us so many things. And, you know, Pamela is such a great, um, you know, teacher of mythology. And Kathy has such a great, um, you know, concept when it comes to, like, story and structure. Like, she's amazing at that. So I love having both of them over, um, you know, to talk to my group. You and me both, babe. I love having them over too. You think you're the only one in this room? Who they're loves amazing. Them over? No, they're, they're the best. Amazing. Yeah. And I know best is a superlative and two people can't be the best, but this is a rare exception where they are both the best. Uh, and they're just so, so generous, you know, with their, I always thank them for their time because I know it's a bit, bit of a schlep for them yeah. to have to drive all the way to, you know, Torrens and, and talk to like the small group of children's book writers, but they always seem to enjoy it and, you know, get something out of it. So I'm... I'm happy about that. Now, look, here's the reality from my perspective. Even if I didn't enjoy those workshops, like I love hearing both of their ideas. Both of them give give a great presentation, mm-hmm. put some new ideas into my head and give me something to think about for the, the days and weeks following. That one, uh, Pamela J. Smith's uh, Most People Don't Have Ideas, They Just Have Opinions on Emotions is like... That's still, I, I still will be driving and just thinking like, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Got to keep untangling that yeah. one until that's at a fundamental level. Uh, even if even if the workshops weren't fantastic, Torrance has some really good thrift shops and I'd still probably swing on by if you asked me to. Thrift shops and I have to tell you, I'm a big foodie. So food places, I have so many recommendations I can give you. Torrance is everything, which is why I don't mind living there, even though the drive to work is kind of a a challenge, mm-hmm. you know, on the 405. Um, but yeah, they have everything. They have Del Amo Mall. They have a float center, which I don't know if you've ever done a Wait, float. what do you mean a float center? Like root beer with ice cream or? No. <laughs> I wish, you know what? That's a good idea. I'm writing that down for my business idea in the future. Um, no, it's like, um, if you've ever done a float, it's like, um, like a parade. You no, know, it's like a, a desensitized, Asian tank. How do you explain this? So you're in this room. Is it a pool full of water? It, it's like this scene in Stranger Things where she goes into this pool full of, full of like salt and she just floats. Okay. And um, so it's kind of like that. It's it's a good way. It has a lot of health benefits. So I kind of do this like once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, it has all the magnesium and the salt in, in the water. So you will never sink. So you're just floating there for like a good hour or so. Even if you exhale completely, like there's nothing you can do to, to get to the bottom mm-hmm. of that water. Nope. You are just Now you've floating. got me very curious. I might book up a session after the next, uh, after the next yeah, workshop like, that you do. You know, being in the zero gravity kind of environment. And you're just in this pool, you're floating there in complete darkness. The only thing you can hear is the sound of your own breath. So a lot of people use it for like, um, you know, meditation or just to kind of decompress because you're, you know, stimulus everywhere, right? Yeah, Every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so even when you're asleep, you're hearing sounds from the street. I mean, um, so this is like one of the ways to have your brain fully kind of like shut down. Yeah. Yeah. I, a, yeah. A, a zero gravity sensory deprivation all rolled into one. Yeah. It's a great benefits. Your skin feels really great afterwards. Um, and it's a really great time to kind of think about stories too, because you're stuck there. 
you don't have a computer or a phone in front of you. You're just floating there kind of trying to relax. And so I use it to like, um, sometimes I'll come in with like an intention of like, okay, I have this story problem that I'm trying to solve. I use that time to kind of just think. Do you do most of your writing at the computer or do you feel like you do most of your writing subconsciously? And then when you sit down, you're transcribing what your underbrain has cooked up for you. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I get ideas, um, you know, everywhere. I'm always on the lookout for for ideas like this story that I told you about, the one that I'm working on, the YA. Mm -hmm. um, That first scene came to me because I was at my old workplace in Beverly Hills. I was like, oh, I need to drop off some mail. So I walked to the mailbox and in front of me, I see this guy and it was summer in L.A. It's very hot. This guy was wearing full on like long black coat. Mm hmm right? Just in front of me. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting character. Like, it's so hot. Why would he be wearing a coat? And then I drop the mail in the mailbox. I look up and he's gone. He's disappeared somewhere. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if there's an alley somewhere that I don't know about on this street. Um, And that sort of like moment stayed with me so much that this story came out of that one scene. So that's actually one of the scenes in my, in the book. In the upcoming, what's the title of the new one? The future book? Uh, Lost Blood. That's the working title. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's really that story unfolding before me in real life. And I just have to make sure that I make time to capture it. Yeah. You know, on paper. I'm done. (laughs) You're done. It's your turn. Oh no. You good? I I am good. What do you want to talk about? Do you want to? Oh, um, I'm going to do a full, like a full camera reset. And I'm also going to go to the bathroom if it's okay. Okay. (laughs) Go for it. Spark.